Hey, Cracked fans. If you're a listener of this podcast, I imagine you feel fairly similar to how I do about the latest clothing options made available across the tennis market. Now, while I won't call out any brand in particular, I will say this. Given the exorbitant nature of the latest designs, feels like you better be pretty freaking good at tennis if you want to wear that sort of clothing on the court. Now, thankfully, we here at Crack Rackets are now able to provide a far more suitable, far more more comfortable, and I'm going to be honest, far more stylish option for all of our Crack Rackets fans, courtesy of our friends over at Lucky Racket. Lucky Racket uses some of the best fitting and feeling tees in the world. Their shirts are combed, ring-spun, heirloom cotton, and tri-blend Bella and Canvas. I don't even know what that means, but that sounds spectacular. So, How can you get yourself some Lucky Racket gear? It's simple. Just go to their website, luckyracket.com. That's L-U-C-K-Y-R-A-C-K-E-T.com. And use our promo code CRACK15. If you do, you'll get 15% off all of your purchases. That means 15% off the shirts, 15% off all of the incredible swag offered by our friends. Again, that's luckyracket.com. The promo code is CRACK15. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, December 10th. On today's show, we are joined by returning champion Ben Rothenberg to discuss arguably the biggest story in the history of tennis, a story best known as Where is Peng Shui? Now, for those of you hearing about this for the first time, it was about a month ago that the two-time Grand Slam champion, former world number one doubles player, described serious allegations of sexual misconduct she suffered at the hands of a former senior member of the Chinese government. Now, since releasing those allegations, we have only heard from Peng Shui through Chinese state-run media outlets. We've seen video of her allegedly out at dinner with friends at a local Chinese tennis tournament. We've received statements allegedly written on her behalf or from her directly discussing that it was not her who released those allegations, that she's doing just fine right now in China. As such, given the suspicious nature of those statements, significant concern continues to be raised not only by Steve Simon and the WTA, but by countless organizations, government, government figures found throughout the globe as obviously the Olympics loom for China here coming up in a couple of months. Would any athlete feel comfortable traveling to China to participate right now, given everything that is happening surrounding Peng Shui? And of course, for us tennis fans, obviously, what can we do to find out about the whereabouts, about the safety and health of Peng Shui? And, you know, how does this impact the sport moving forward? Recently, the WTA announces they are pulling out all events of China moving forward and the ITF doing the same. The ATP has yet to do it. These are obviously significant topics of discussion for us as we look towards the 2022 season. And I can think of no better guest to help me discuss all of these things than Ben, who recently wrote a piece about all of this for Slate.com. And of course, we plug that piece throughout the course of this today's discussion as we break down this story from each and every angle. Talk about, obviously, the WTA's response 
to all of this discuss why or where or what the ATP should be doing moving forward. And again, I could think of no better person to have this discussion with than Ben, as he did write a fantastic piece that you all should go read for Slate.com. But that is the topic of today's discussion. Of course, Ben also joins me for a conversation, doing some projecting into 2022. We offer our top 10 American men and women, or at least our predictions for who those top 10 men and women will be at the end of the 2022 season. That's a very fun conversation you all can go find on the Great Shot podcast feed. But again, this is the biggest story, not just in tennis right now. It's transcended tennis media. You see it leading CNN, leading the New York Times news section, the Washington Post news section. It's coming up, obviously, with the IOC, the Olympic Committee. They're asked about it each and every day, as, of course, this is the central concern for all of us as we look for the safety, well-being of Peng Shui. And so that's why we wanted to discuss it once again today here on this show, try to offer updates on this story as frequently as we can moving forward. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here at the mini break is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Patreon family, who we are immensely grateful to. You guys have done so much for us throughout the year, and we've got some really exciting things planned that we cannot wait to announce for 2022, all of that possible, because you guys continue to turn to us for your tennis content needs, and we try to do our best to ensure you remain the most well-informed, best-educated fans in the business, of course. We're also able to do this here on this show day in, day out because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. You guys know the deal. Any holiday shopping, if you've forgotten to do it, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use our promo code CR15. You'll not only let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, that's tennis-point, simple, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. But with all of that said, let's get to it. Again, the biggest story right now in tennis, where is Peng Shui with our friend Ben Rothenberg. Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining us on the podcast today is a returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. Fresh off of a 36-28 loss to the Minnesota Vikings. Was a pretty good game for this retiring, soon-to-be-retiring, Pittsburgh Steelers star. Of course, you also know his work as a writer for the New York Times, writer for Slate.com, host of the No Challenges Remaining podcast. I know him. It's my friend, 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 friend. I don't know at this point. It's a bunch of different categories. Ben Rothenberg, Ben. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Honor to be your friend. That pass, <laughs> as time expired yesterday, was like on the gloves, like in the hands. Yeah. Dramatic. Of the guy. Of the guy. <laughs> and the guy like chooses not to hang on with a little, you know, 300 pound, 200 pound, whatever guy slamming into his hands to make him drop it. And doing my job to the best of the abilities here, and I'm not responsible for the weakness of others. Yeah, exactly. So I thought you, you will a great pry, You will pry this, this starting role from, from my 
cold dead hands my cold dead mentions apparently <laughs> never going away and on a thursday i didn't sign up for that on a thursday come on yeah Not okay that rare thursday night football experience the good news is uh. it'll be a quiet sunday like you get to look yeah. forward to a Sunday of silent mentions. Maybe you can go to brunch without, you know, any sort of incident. I, that's a spin in here. Brunch in a long time. That would be nice. That'd be nice. Yeah. It sounds like a 2020 sort of thing, but obviously always a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. Happy belated Thanksgiving to you. Happy holidays to you and yours, of course. And look, sometimes we ask ourselves in the tennis Twitter universe, do Ben Rothenberg's fingers still work? Well, we got the answer to that question recently. The answer being yes as you recently wrote a piece for slate.com women's tennis is risking millions to take on china and of course that dives into one of the topics we want to discuss today and that's the question of course of where is peng shui what is happening with her right now and you know discussing the response not only by the wta but in your article you go on to discuss parallels between the wta's response other sporting responses i wish all of you listeners could see the look on ben's face when i told them that we're questioning whether his fingers still work i think it's good what was I, that I, yeah i've got it frustrated this is the ben i want here i need you at your spiciest entering today's show but obviously you've written that piece you've discussed it on the podcast multiple times uh, i'm curious what you're i think this is the story of the year like it's it's surpassed obviously anything that happened on the court in 2021 it clearly will have impact going into 2022 your approach to this story I think in terms of long-term mainstream news coverage, this has had more legs than any other tennis story in my career in terms of the amount of time that it's spent on like the front pages of newspapers, on regular CNN during their regular news shows, things like that. This story has had impressive, impressive is the wrong word, but a, a pretty incredible reach and, and scale and touches on a lot of things and hasn't been resolved while still remaining feeling urgent at times maybe that's dissipated a little bit in the last week or so maybe it's cooled off a little bit um but with you know a bunch of different factors combining yeah it's, it's been it's been big um so that's the first part i'm going to glom onto and then i forget if you the rest of your question or well, question you know, for me yeah the rest of the question was do your fingers still work but as you looked at this story um i'm just going to throw that in now whenever i can uh, uh -huh. as you as you approach this story because there are so many angles uh, to yeah. this, whether it be obviously how it relates to tennis, the WTA's business decision, the ITF's business decision, the ATP's lack of decision-making in pulling out of China, and they're the or only major organization in tennis left really to have any sort of presence there right now. There's the Olympic angle. There are so many angles. I'm curious what angle of this story again you appealed i don't want to say appeal to you the most that's not the right way but what you know when you're trying to write this piece what are the what's the approach you're taking i mean i see it as the sort of the sudden end and this is from i come at it from a test perspective right and it's interesting okay. the sort of the evolution of the story when the story first broke when, when Peng Shui's post first got made it honestly didn't make a huge splash within tennis circles hmm. at least not publicly it you know there were obviously wta was aware of what was going on uh, some, you know, former colleagues of Pung's from the WTA locker room from her generation, you know, active and inactive players from uh, roughly her coach, she's in her mid-30s, so roughly that kind of group, uh, were texting each other and were trying to see if they could reach her and things like that. Um, but generally, this started as a story that was written and covered and reported on by China watching reporters, you know, China watchers is kind of this whole separate media category, people who try to 
explain and keep an eye on China and what's going on there. Obviously, there's pretty big language and cultural barrier, so it does take a sort of specific group of uh, interpreters or translators uh, to make things, uh, to, to process things and for a Western audience uh, who's often pretty admittedly ignorant about the sort of way things work over there. So it's very sealed off and, and, and very much its own unique system with its own unique physics and rules uh, that go on over there. So when, when Tang Shuai's story first came out, it was covered by the China reporters as sort of a story that was essentially about like a scandal in Chinese government or another example of China, China's control over its social media and censorship angles. Um, those are really where it predominated. And then it wasn't until uh, almost about well, 10, 11 days later when it really started to gain some traction within tennis circles, more tennis players started speaking about it and the WTA weighed in. And then I guess, yeah, that's where it sort of becomes most interesting to me as a tennis story for, as being a tennis-based reporter with semi-working fingers is there's a, um, you know, it's especially over the arc of my career has really sort of traced the increasing push from the WTA into China, you know, the whole WTA Asia strategy, which is really the signature of Steve Simon's predecessor, Stacey Allister. She's really the one who made that her thing. And then Steve didn't uh, divert away from that. He, he was the one who signed the deal for the uh, World Tour of year-end championships. I hate calling those things anything. Uh, I call them the year-end championships for those to go into Shenzhen for a 10-year deal. Uh, seems a big lucrative windfall for the WTA at the time. I remember that day when they announced it very clearly in, in Melbourne. They had a press conference in 2019, I guess. No, 2018. Women 2018. And I remember Novak Djokovic, who came in later that day and was asked about it being like openly like frustrated or jealous or something or anno annoyed that like the women were getting so much more money than the men in their year-end deal. It was considered a massive win for the women, uh, getting $14 million a year. <laughs> the men sidebar came back a couple years later with a deal for $14.5 million a year. Just like, <laughs> we don't care how much we want, we just want to make sure it's more than the women. So whatever token amount puts us above the women, um, those, those guys, my God. Uh, anyway, so, uh, so, the, so that was all seen as great, but it also was, I think, alienating for you know traditional fans of the sports for real for, for legitimate and less strong reasons mm -hmm. uh less valid reasons you know seeing the sport shift so seeing the pendulum swing so hard so quickly to a market that did not seem to have the same amount of you know tennis uh culture and support at least visibly obviously famously the stands were often very empty at chinese tournaments especially during weekday sessions um, usually they were okay for the finals, not necessarily amazing, but usually okay. Um, but seeing how, seeing these like really empty stadiums of big players and just not good vibes there. And also often being really tough time zones for certainly for American viewers. Um, I think there was some levels of resentment for that. And me personally, I, um, I couldn't go to China as someone, I, I don't know if we talked about this before, but I, um, first tried well the only time i really tried to get into china was in 2014 when i it was the first year of wuhan um being there which had previously been a sanction that was in tokyo um got moved to china this was before the naomi osaka arrival and um uh this was uh i found out going to be when lena was retiring she was in that's retirement there's gonna be a whole sort of farewell tour for her not on court she was sure. injured um and so I wanted to go there and basically the Chinese consulate would not give me a, a visa because of my affiliation with the New York Times. So they 
do not want to party with. Yeah. Um, who do not, they don't they don't want them in their in their country, uh, even if it's for something as stated as Maybe. I want to go watch this national sporting hero in China, you know, retire and very clearly for this purpose of covering tennis tournaments, even that they were wary of. I couldn't go. Um, I never really tried to go after that because um, I just knew that it was going to run into the same wall over and over and over again. So, um, so that was frustrating, you know, having that actually sort of pretty abruptly stopped my, my tradition, sorry, my pattern of, of, of traveling at all after the U.S. Open, that, sure. that sort of Chinese decision actually made me just stop traveling after the U.S. Open, and I haven't really done so since, um, which has actually been okay in the long run, um, but it was nice back when I could, when both the year and championships were in Europe, especially when they were in the same continent. They could do both in one trip and throw in like a Paris Bear Sea Masters. Oh, yeah, I love that tournament. It's a great, it's a, it's a great tournament. Mm. Um, uh, yes, yeah, un- very like the most underrated tournament on tour by far is the, is the Paris Bear Sea Masters. Um, uh, anyway, uh, not sure where I'm going with all this. Turn it to a personal dialogue. For some no, reason. I like anyway. it. All of it is to say, no, and I, I don't mean to interject here, yeah. but you know, again, talking about when you look at this in a speak, it'd be, it's so interesting to hear you talk about the initial week because I do remember. The week before, you know, hashtag where's Peng Shui really took off, there was this innocuous report and someone had translated, I believe it's called Weibo, right, is is where the initial post was found uh, for Peng Shui, where she, you know, again, discusses. Yeah. I don't know if it's innocuous, but yeah. Well, no, 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 for it. no, 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 I'll get there. And it's like, it was a, an innocuous post in that someone said, hey, someone, we believe this is Peng Shui. Like, I think this is a translation. I think this statement for, was from her. It wasn't from an official source is what I'm trying to say. It was this okay. just one off tweet where you see it and someone says, hey, did anyone see this Weibo message? And I was like, oh. I'd, how am I going to take the validity of this source on something this serious? And of course, what we're referring to, Peng Shui, in a Weibo post, talks about uh, the sexual misconduct she experienced yeah. at the hands of former Chinese Vice Premier Zhang Go Li. Uh, excuse me. Uh-huh. And for those, just always a reminder: Peng Shui was, you know, top 15 singles player in the world in 2011 and make the semifinals of 2014 U.S. Open singles. Of course, she's also a two-time doubles Grand Slam champion. Was number one in the world in doubles as recently as 2014. So, you know, again, you, you mentioned a name, Li Na there, but obviously in terms of Chinese women's tennis prominence, those are the two names you would turn to uh, in terms of, the, I would say, the most successful players of late. And so, again, as I don't want to say this became more real, but as you continue to see more sources come out of her discussing her stories, and to your point at first, there were some very shoddy translations, and you just weren't sure what well, was real, what was it. I guess that was the problem. Is it was? I think there was. I think there were. I think honestly, depends where you were looking. Like sure. I think maybe this is, you're. I think you're talking about it from a pretty clear, which well, is I'm useful. Talking about but from, from a tennis from a fan from, perspective, from, from a tennis bubble perspective, right? Exactly. Because there were these yes. reports in the Washington Post and the New York Times, they were not in the sports section. Yeah. They were not by sports reporters or by like the China correspondents who were writing these like dispatches being like, here's this story. But it really didn't get picked up as a tennis story, right? Until exactly. really meaningfully until, I guess there was a little bit of a hashtag campaign. And then really when Steve Simon- Released his statement, first statement, yes. Released the first statement and then did the interview shortly after with, with Chris Clary for the New York Times about how uh, that he was willing basically to, if it came to it, to, to pull the tournaments out of China. And that really is what started this big uh, discussion and standoff. And and he staked his he staked his position very very sternly and pretty resolutely, um, or stayed out a pretty pretty drew a pretty tough line, right? That wasn't just like oh, if you show us a picture of Peng Shui smiling in front of some stuffed animals, we'll be okay and we'll see you next year in Wuhan. No, he was saying like 
we need verifiable proof. We don't believe, we don't trust the, the Chinese state media and all their censorship and continuing to call out the, the orchestrations of the story continued to escalate it. But yeah, so that's when he did that. And I think him doing that gave more people in tennis cover to, to rally behind him, both well, on the women's and men's side. With you speaking of that, and I want to quote something you wrote here, by calling out the Chinese government's lies and obstruction, Simon was in many ways simply stating the obvious. But his willingness to, even do, uh, to do even that in the realm of corporate leadership is radical and transgressive. And so my question to you, you talk about, again, because the WTA does come out with an aggressive statement right away, talking about we need to see her, we need to hear from Peng Shui directly to ensure her health, and we'll talk about the evidence we've gotten of that a little bit later, but how much of this do you think was Steve Simon driven and him just taking a bold stance from a leadership perspective, or is this player driven, is this player council driven, is this pressure on him to do this? I definitely don't think he's a maverick within his own organization, he's not going rogue, Sure. Um, he was in conversations with other leaders of the WTA, their board, including their player reps, which would answer to the player council. And this goes all the way through all of Steve Simon's actions and escalations, I guess you could say, uh, ultimately ending with ending with the suspension of tournaments in China uh, most recently. Um, that he had this, the support of his players and his, and his staff and his organization fully. And that's really remarkable um, for many reasons. Obviously, I mean, like you just see how dis how how disjointed tennis is and how acrimonious it is. And really, honestly, that's men's tennis. The women have been pretty solidly behind Steve Simon as a leader. Um, he has he has tremendous respect from his constituents in, in the women's game and from his organization. Um, he's not an ostentatious guy at all, not a flashy guy at all. Um, but he has a he's a hard worker and he has a a work ethic uh, and a professionalism that I think is massively, massively respected. And so as tough as, and he, when he was doing these, and he did a lot of media for someone who's not usually front-facing, he did a lot of interviews with all the big outlets he wanted him to be. You know, he was on CNN several times on TV. He was did BBC hits. He was doing a bunch of stuff, all for the clear purpose of, I think that keeping a story out there will help us get the outcome we want in terms of seeing Pung's keeping pressure on the spotlight on to keep to keep punk safety from to keep her falling through the cracks even further so um yeah he didn't do anything that was at all with you know unilateral without the blessing of his uh his people his people stood by him and the players have been really really behind him for you know reasons of you know obviously caring about punk shui but also i think they've just really appreciated on a more sort of personality level seeing what he is willing to do to fight for one of their own and the sacrifices they're willing to make on a business level from uh from on a, on a human side um and standing up to a very very you know tough test that might prove catastrophic you know in terms of their finances we don't know this you know positive outcome is not guaranteed financially at all from the wta they're they're, they're suddenly fall in, you know, going to fall into a, a big deficit if you just take all this China money away right away and they have to work and get a lot of support and help from other people around the world to make that up. But even with that, the the women on tour believe believe in Steve, believe in the reasons he's doing this for, and it's been a pretty remarkable uh, study in leadership. And like I, like you said in that in that snippet you read from me in, in Slate, it's pretty without precedent in the corporate and, uh, and certainly corporate sports world uh when it comes to dealing with china or often with other 
even other sort of uh, authoritarian regimes that people got to get uh, in business with. I love that you quote me quoting you. That's yeah, just, the best. Uh, is that our friendship in a nutshell? Um, <laughs> and by the way, I say that positively. Um, yeah, and you talked about that business connection. Uh, and you've mentioned it already, the 10-year deal with Shenzhen in 2018, the annual prize purse, $14 million, and the initial sum was higher than any World Tour final had ever been. And at the end, it, you know, you go on to say, I don't want to rip off the entire article. Again, Slate.com, you can go read this if you are listening. And you really should go read this because, again, whenever Ben does get his fingers to work, usually there's still magic at the end of those fingers. Uh, you know, you talk about it. It's a huge opportunity for us, Simon told the New York Times in 2018, of a deal he characterized as over a $1 billion commitment to women's tennis in the region. Now, let's be clear. That's not a $1 billion commitment to the WTA. That's a $1 billion commitment to the growth of the game, whether it be the ITF, whether it be the junior tennis centers. Well, I think I think what he was mostly talking about, so people quote the prize money amount because it's the most front-facing, but they also, the that goes right to the players, essentially. Yeah. Um, but there is also a significant sanction fee mm-hmm. that uh, sure. Shenzhen would have paid, or whoever the owners were for Shenzhen, would have paid to the WTA directly. Uh, for the rights to host events. So the, the money isn't just prize money. I think it's one thing to yeah. clarify for people. Yeah. Um, and even though that is a big number. And the other thing is the the mountains that he was facing, like they were building a purpose-built uh, new arena in Shenzhen. Yes. I think it's a lot of that billion dollars is saying you're gonna you're gonna spend, I don't remember the exact number of the arena, but you know, tens of millions, maybe a hundred million dollars building this new state-of-the-art arena in Shenzhen um for for this tournament. And yeah, other, maybe some other scattered development things as well in other tennis centers. But um, yeah, the main things were the sanction and the uh, and the uh, and the prize money, obviously, which was significant, be 140 million over 10 years, and then and then the uh, arena costs were the main. And the WTA had items. an office there that they had opened, and they had a Beijing office for years. Yeah, they yeah. did. Um, and to skip ahead a little bit, one of the sort of you know, one of my concerns or, or people's concerns is that uh, you know, hoping that everyone else who's still affiliated with with WTA in China, this goes for other players. Mm-hmm. Um, who were you know not more active than Peng Shui, honestly on a tour, sure. um, like a any, 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 any like lingering a... staff, yeah, Zhang Shui, the X Wangs, both of them, yeah, like <laughs> that, that they, uh, that they, the you know, are, are doing okay That's and are, are in good shape. Don't let that Star slide by. The Star Wars thing. is excellent. That's very very good. Well, as they're also called in the biz, you know, people call yeah. them. Yeah, no, uh, it's it's lefty and righty. Lefty and righty, exactly. Yeah, of yeah. course. So. Um, I, I did see that. I think I saw righty on the uh, mm-hmm. entry list for Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So I was happy to see that. Um, I'm not sure where lefty's ranking is, what she's up to, but one sixties. Um, yeah. But I hope that, you know, I hope that, I hope that they're able to leave China to go play tennis. I'm not sure, but I'm not sure. I don't know what they're going to face and I don't know what the future of those players is. And there's not any like a list stars who represent China right now in, mm-hmm. in tennis. But uh, it's still a concern, I, and just for their, for their professional liability, but most importantly for their safety and for the safety of everyone. Who, I just hope people aren't sort of you know persecuted for WTA affiliations now that WTA is making itself unpopular in China. And that's a fear we have. And you know, again, to see the outpouring from so many different players for Nicolas Mahout, and I do think we're going to see a bunch of different tournaments do this justifiably, or at least the ones that are willing to, you know, put themselves up in this position is offer you know peng shui a, a spot to give out your trophy and they're going to invite her to every tournament i think that is a trend we will see emerge and i want to talk about the player response i want to talk about yeah. their feelings towards china as well but again 
just to stick to the business side, and we can crank that out now, um, you look for, again, and they're a, the prize purse this year at the year-end finals. You write it $14 million down to $5 million, but the stands are full. And you do wonder, just again, given the pandemic, we haven't had tennis in China in 2020. We didn't have tennis in China in 2021 at all. The WTA at least got a look at what a business model of tennis yeah. without China would be. I do wonder, like, again, does that does that add to, to the, I don't want to say comfort level. That's not the right word to use here. But is that does that help alleviate the decision of like, well, we see what a business model can be. It's all about if the numbers add up. I mean, sure. like, yes, the Guadalajara was a fantastic week. It was a success, a right? It was. it was. It was a ton. It was a really fun tournament to watch. Mm-hmm. Really good, really good level of tennis. And people were nervous about it because of the whole altitude thing. But that didn't wind up being really a detriment at all to the encore product um the matches were really really good it was a, a year-end finals which rewarded uh aggressive play which hadn't been the case at these really really slow courts we'd had in shenzhen and uh, singapore the last several years of singapore so um i loved it as a tournament i thought it was like a really like joyful experience and 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 really one of my favorite weeks that i haven't been at in a long time i had major major guadalajara fomo but uh i i, I think that it's going to come down to what they get next. You know, like they know the subtraction. The subtraction is steep. The subtraction is very much will hurt their operational budget, losing the China money. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because, again, it's not just the sort of surface level 14 million to 5 million to the prize money. It's all sort of sponsorships, partnerships that they're getting from China. And China was, you know, kind of an ATM for them that was printing money for, for years. And all these like re- various regional governments in China that were shelling out money to get premieres and and you know even below the wuhan's and the beijing's there was zhengzhou and there was mm-hmm. uh you know a couple of lucrative even like they had like high-priced internationals or in 250s now that were there in, in hong kong and in uh, tianjin um so th- there's a and i think the re- itf junior masters event was there as well if memory serves me correct they host they've been hosting more and more events yeah for yeah, sure exactly. i mean more and more chinese cities want to get across there, chinese cities yeah. Chinese cities that we as Americans are not familiar with, you know, culturally. And actually, it's, you know, obviously most people who in the U.S. have never heard of Wuhan before the pandemic. And except for tennis fans, we're well aware of Wuhan because of it putting itself on the map through that. I mean, it's a place, it's, it's an effective way for cities to get known. And, and they found that as a way to put themselves on the map is to get on the tennis tour. So, um, you know, the, uh, but it comes down to what kind of replacement support they get and how quickly they can get that. And if the rest of the world steps up and doesn't just pay lip service to the WTA for its, you know, courage or bravery or whatever, but actually says, hey, you know, I believe in women's tennis. I think it's a great product. Let's, you know, sponsor, a, you know, let's put this Masters 1000 event uh, in Tokyo to celebrate, you know, Osaka, where it used to be, revert that one, or take this other one and put it in Houston, who knows, like wherever, wherever you want to put it, like find new homes for these places, um, for these, for these tournaments, because the WTA is in a, in a time of, a time of where it needs, it needs the help, and it, it needs the support, and, and that's going to, so it's a very pivotal um, and tenuous, you know, stretch coming up here when they're trying to, trying to, when they're a bit of a, bit of an orphan financially. Yeah, no, and it's fascinating to wonder what a lack of this part, you know, without the China tournaments in the calendar, you know, we had Indian Wells at the end of this season. And so it filled the role there. Although again, should there be an event that large after the U S open, there are plenty of people out there who say no beforehand anyways, but you know, Indian Wells is not always going to be in November. And so you do your October. And so you wonder, 
what does the end of the year look like? And what, what do these, you know, what schedule emerges? I think it's honestly, if it goes well, I think the upside is really high for what this sport can do. I think to regain a bit of its identity. I mean, my thought with, sure. with China, um, one of my thoughts with China. Well, that's the other was, piece, by the way, quickly, is that the WTA more than ever now, it stands for something. It has an identity. And I'm not saying it hasn't had this identity in the past, but to your point earlier, this story has broken through. It's transcended not just tennis media, yeah. all media. And it does feel like right, the WTA I, has a brand right now. I think they have a lot of goodwill yes. right now. They, they, they have a lot of goodwill right now, but it's it that is not guaranteed to convert that into dollars and cents that you can sure. actually use to, you know, keep your business afloat. Um, so, but I do think, I was just starting to say, like, I do think leaving China and having this sort of vacuum in a good way on the calendar, may, it makes a big canvas to, to paint a new interesting picture for the tour. And one that I think, you know, there are obvious, there were reasons, I mentioned some of the reasons for China being iffy before in terms of, you know, the time zones, the the lack of, uh, you know, visual fan support that was often there. Um, but also there were plenty of, of less, you know, more just sort of xenophobic reasons that people had for not liking China that were less valid. Um, but I do think one of, one of my sort of thoughts with, with tennis as a sport, and I think so for men's women's, but especially probably women's with how hard they were into China, is that tennis ones are kind of being everywhere and nowhere, mm -hmm. right? It, it moves so quickly that it's very hard unless you really devote your life to it to follow tennis year round. And to have tennis, and maybe this is a little easier for Europeans, and they probably have the, the easiest gig of it, but not even that good because the American events are tough for them. Um, where you know, it's just it's just hard to follow it year round. But and I, so it's at eleven p.m. If you small, are trying right. to watch a match in China, it's going to be eleven p.m. Eastern time. A smaller geographic footprint makes will strengthen it in those areas. And so putting more of the events that were in Asia, and again, and not necessarily all of them, but I do think a place like Japan deserves to have a bigger footprint sure. right now, women's tennis with Osaka than it has. But the the uh, amount of uh, tournaments that can go, we saw this this year with, with the all the flexible uh, sanctions that went to the San Diego tournament, to the Chicago WTA events. There are markets and city in Guadalajara, even if you want to throw it in there. There are excuse me, markets and cities that can really jump on this and be ready to be traditional dormant. They're dormant now, but are ready for tennis and no tennis and wouldn't take much to, to embrace these high level, high level tournaments. That was the thing. I mean, like there's people in Guadalajara, you know, showing up with, you know, I love Krichikova posters. And that's just mm -hmm. that's just cool that, you know, like tennis, tennis, you know, hardcore fans are are out there um and and yeah so I, I i think but i think there is more of an identity to be gained i think if you're trying to be really global there's a reason why other sports for the most part maybe the occasional exceptions of like f1 which is a different kind of structure but like aren't trying to be purely global and in every time zone the way that kind of tennis does i think there's there's a real there's a real downside to that and so i think that a slightly more streamlined calendar um could make sense and remember when when people don't think about this much but when women's professional tennis started mm -hmm. the tour the video some sort it was an american tour mm -hmm. like the basically the tour would play every week in various arenas in a lot more indoors in in the u.s and would then sort of break for um the clay season and grass and then come back and then play you know more in the u.s and just that was it 
like it was sort of eight months of the year were in North America. And yes, it's it's more limiting, but also it meant that there was frequent when tennis did get on TV and it did a lot of weekends. We get like the finals of tournaments on network TV back when it wasn't mm-hmm. pre-cable. We're talking about the 70s, so it's not all replicable. But sure. people knew they could tune in, you know, a lot of weekends and watch Martina versus Chris Everett. And 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 that builds rivalries and that builds consistency. And just like when you're always a moving target as a sport, as a product, it's not a it's not a strength. It yeah. really isn't. No, I like the word you used, a blank canvas. It does feel like this provides that opportunity to reimagine yeah. the schedule a bit. And it will be fascinating to see not only what the WTA does, but of course, what other organizations in tennis do as well. And, you know, again, um, good writing by you, Benny. The International Tennis Federation, another major tennis governing body, and I appreciate you clarifying that because, you know, again, sometimes we're unsure, but I know that people don't know what these things are. Yeah, I know. know No, again, I like it. Put out a limp one sentence statement. Player safety is always our top priority and we support a full and transparent investigation into this matter. But a limp one sentence statement, that's just that's I might have originally used the word flaccid. The editors might have changed that. But that's, um, that's good writing, better editing, I suppose. Yeah, that's, you know, um, but yeah, I, I, and I, and you know, and what we're seeing now is the ITF quietly pulled its pro circuit events or, or decided not to hold them in 2022. Yeah, and so that's is, what yes. I was. So that's what I was going to allude to is the fact that they did pull their events out. And you're right. It was, I, you know, you didn't get the big press release. And, the same, and honestly, it's not even a hundred percent clear in in this in the email they sent to players which was leaked by these working fingers, um, they, uh, they didn't make it, uh, they didn't make the causation clear, like we're doing this because of Pong Schreiber, they kind of intertwined those things a little bit and they kind of mentioned her, they mentioned the schedule, mentioned her again. Um, but also the pandemic uncertainty gives good cover sort of to leave uh, at this time. Um, but yeah, but it then just leaves, we can get to this, the ATP standing alone as the organization uh, not making this call. Um, leaving the door open in China um, and really sort of, you know, showing the tennis isn't all that united, you know, they're united when it comes to, you know, making some staff redundant and, and cutting down their, you know, marketing teams or whatever, or, you know, doing occasional cross posting of articles on websites or whatever, but like meaningful solidarity has not been there. And, but the men's players, I think are actually really of the same mind as the, the women's players and of the WTA tour. And they're been, they've been outspokenly supportive of the ones who are the outspoken ones. And it's obviously a small handful. You know, we're talking about your Mahus and your Opelkas and your uh, whoever, Sanger, and I guess it's in there too. Um, Djokovic, when being asked about it repeatedly, um, will join this chorus as well. Um, you know, they're, they're supportive of, uh, of Steve Simon and think that the WTA leadership has been, been great on this. And they're not happy with their own leadership. Uh, mm-hmm largely and it's a it's a moment that the the atp is is not meeting with the they're not winning you know the the hearts and minds the way the wta has been because they're looking out for their bottom line for now of course and you do wonder again how is that bottom line impacted the lack of transparency and tennis financing and i'm not saying there's transparent financing in any sport really but it just feels like because there are so many competing entities who's giving money where where is that money coming from obviously it's very difficult to track in tennis with all the various entities but you know one major and i 
here's the thing. I, I, it's very easy to pick on individuals and call out conflicts of interest. I don't like doing that without having a base of knowledge to report on. But obviously, the one that has stood out, you know, Shanghai Masters Tournament Director on the board of directors as well for the ATP, Charles Smith, and just, you know, that yeah. connection there right away. And just again, I for the ATP, it's as simple as the bottom line, right? Like that is what is that is what is holding this decision back. I mean, it depends on how far you want to take those sort of criticisms. Sure. Like, yes, on a basic level, it's okay that tournament representatives serve on, on the board, board are sure. affiliated with tournaments. I mean, sure. that's like saying that you shouldn't have players be on the player council. So yeah, some, of, some of the, some of the, some of the, some of the, like the, ha, look at this. Uh, we got yeah, you. That's what I'm saying. It's just it's, not it's well a bit, done. It's a bit over the line. But yeah. you're absolutely right that in a, in a normal organization, in a normal non-corrupt organization, someone, when they're discussing, discussing the future of the Shanghai tournament and its viability, the Shanghai person would recuse himself from that vote or, 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 or replace a, a, point, a stand in it at the, or at the yeah. very least or do something. But tennis has not been interested in those basic things. Um, and yeah, it'll be, and, but I also at the same time, like I just can't imagine like, there's time, you know, time is on their side a little bit for the men. There's no ATP events coming up until September um, in China, but uh, I can't imagine, you know, people signing up to enter Chinese tournaments right now. I, I, I just can't imagine that the guys feel comfortable doing that. And it also wouldn't want to just, you know, sort of stage a, uh, a soft boycott on principle, just all enter, you know, 500 Tokyo the same week, assuming again, we don't know what the calendar is going to be. Yeah. Will would the China Open happen if it was only as uh, a men's tournament? We don't know. Um, I kind of have this feeling that like the China is going to start its own women's tour. Is kind of my is one of my guesses because they have the players and they have the stadiums. So is that um, unsourced? Are we aggregating that? That's unsourced. I mean, like that. That's more a guess. Honestly, sure. in terms of, like if, what I would do if I was China, I would okay. I would have something for my players to do um and and give them careers honestly and you know it, it's, it's honestly not a bad idea for them if they if they if they think wta is untenable to start a rival tour um and maybe still if their players play the slams or something we'll see um but anyway uh yeah the atp is being it's just class it's just in, in keeping with them in this era they don't they don't respond well to uh tough moments in in, in that face them as as a, as a sport they really, really don't. They're really not impressive in those ways. And um, obviously people know examples I'm, I'm referring to, but they're, uh, yeah, they're just not, they're just not an impressive group on a sort of on, on many levels right now. And more players being vocal about that um, won't help. And so I, I, I'm interested to, I've, yeah, yeah. I, I think they need to do something to short of a player boycott you're right that is the it feels like the only option on the atp side would be the players to say well we're not going to play them and you do wonder their rules again if it's a masters 1000 all these different things and so you're right that's i mean that's something to monitor of course as well and yeah it's all so fascinating it really is because of course the then the next natural question is well, aren't there other countries that there are tournaments being hosted in right now that have questionable backgrounds in their human rights sure. records? And honest, you know, again, I'm not, I will happily, if you want to share some criticisms of these United States of America, we can mm-hmm. happily do so. I'm not going to hold back there. And just again, there are European countries. There are nations across the globe <laughs> where you could say, well, if we're not, why are we endorsing this now as well? And I, 
look, obviously, this I, again, I'm not criticizing the stance the WTA is taking against China here. It is the most applaudable stance we've seen from a sporting organization probably in the modern era. Because again, we saw the NBA, they knew they were going to lose $150, $200 million when they, you know, when Daryl Morey speaks out in favor of Hong Kong. And do we hear them talking about that stance now? No, we do not anymore because they're, you know, and obviously that's hundreds of millions of dollars as well. But the question is, does does this cause a reexamination of tennis's relationship with other nations as well? I think short run, no. Sure. You know, I think that this was a, a really unique flashpoint that happened with, with China and Peng Shui. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're not going to pack up their bags and, and leave every country that is, is dodgy, um, whether or not they should. And, you know, obviously it's easy to make case that they should, um, for sure. But I don't know. Uh, if it's a, uh, I, you know, there's still, and they can still push into new places that are still dodgy. You know, there's Saudi Arabia, for example, really wants more and more pro sports. Well, the tour has not been there. Um, would that change? Uh, either tour has not been there currently. Would that change? What we'll see. Uh, so, you know, we saw the response a few years ago when they were going to play the men's event Riyadh, right? Yeah, we certainly, I think, and then they did, did they want to play that or not? I can't remember. I think they played a couple matches, but a, a bunch of people ended up pulling out. Yeah, there's definitely pressure on them. Yeah. I know, I know Djokovic and Nadal were both signed up for that exhibition, and then there was yeah. pressure. That was right after the Khashoggi yes, uh, murder. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was, that was, yeah, but that's an example of that. And like people obviously want to point to Russia and their human rights record and anti democracy moves and mm. you know turkey or wherever else and yeah you sure us has, has reasons too there's a sort of uh not slippery slope but there's you know you once you get started on making these decisions mm-hmm. you have to figure out where to draw the line the line is is blurry or or you know not there's not a clear line of, of what's sure. what country what's permissible what's not permissible um but yeah but i think this was clearly a red line that got crossed in in china so i think this, this had to be done and yeah i'd be surprised if the men think it might have thinking it's viable Last two. Last question. But they're not going to do it. If, they're not going to do it on, on 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 you know, being on the foot front foot of courage. Oh yeah, that's that's not their move. Um, but last last question for you on this. Uh, and again, it it's looking more broadly here as you look across. You know, obviously we're concerned about the relationship with the tour, but first and foremost, the safety of Peng Shui is what we are all concerned about. And we've seen videos, and we've seen. These these false statements and what's been so striking is Steve's oh, false statements. These statements and what's so striking is Steve Simon's willingness to say we don't believe in these. We don't trust these. Mm-hmm. We don't trust the outlet they're coming from. We don't trust the circumstance of it. It this doesn't end until she speaks freely, right? Like this that is the end of this saga. And just the question is, will we ever have that opportunity, right? Like that is what's so grave about this situation. Yeah, I don't know how it ends. I. I think it has to, obviously the Winter Olympics are coming up in 2022, and that will be another uh, spotlight on China and sports. And we'll see if she does any appearances there, or she does meet with the IOC in person, or she does do anything that, um, yeah, that makes it clear that, uh, yeah, and I, I don't know. There's that's the big sort of still event on the horizon is the Olympics for sure for lots of different reasons. Diplomatic boycotts already happening. Um, that'll probably be the extent of it, which is, I think, probably okay. Um, so it's so late, and anyway, Olympic Park, that's a different issue. But I, yeah, we'll see. But then is, is, is a happy or satisfying outcome guaranteed in this story? Absolutely not. 
No. And and also if you're a reporter and China will do their best, I'm sure to keep a lid on this, but like, isn't the first question to every Olympic athlete, are you comfortable competing in China during these Olympics? Like, isn't that the first question every reporter asks? No, I mean, functionally, it's not going to be that, but um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a question for sure. And and yeah, the winter Olympians have not been speaking out about this they, they want to keep they want to because they probably don't feel safe doing it and going to china exactly. and it's hard to begrudge them again because they, they didn't pick china they yeah. have no they have no say in where the 2022 olympics were going to be mm-hmm. um and olympics are such a sort of once in a lifetime for some people thing or twice in a lifetime if you're if it, timing works out if you're good yeah. um yeah if you're good um three if you're amazing yeah. um and so uh and and just you're in a sport that sort of allows that um but anyway, uh, no. So we'll we'll see we'll see who chooses to speak out or not. I'm not begrudging anybody in China mm-hmm. um, for not whether they're a visitor there or um, a, a citizen there for not speaking out. I, I know the stakes there are, are very high, and I understand people not wanting to take that that risk, and that's the risk that Peng Shui knew she was taking. Um, yeah, so we'll see. I know happy outcome guaranteed here. No, but it's, it's good. It's good for people to, to keep talking about it yeah. and to keep the, the spotlight on it. And that is why I appreciate your writing again. Women's tennis is risking millions to take on China in the realm of corporate leadership. The WTA's response to the Peng Shui case has been radical and transgressive. You can read more of Ben's piece at Slate.com. Couple other things I want to do since I have you on yeah. the show. Uh, obviously, There's some more fun things. Yeah, no, we we have some fun to do. I do have to ask you one last serious question because I saw you tweet it out and I immediately threw it the retweet. ATP really still hasn't reached out to Alia Sharipova. Like that is just remarkable. That's what I heard. As that's what she told me. Mm-hmm. As of uh, this past weekend, uh, she had not heard from them on their investigation. And we um, haven't heard which, any which, which they the said was which they said, which I think it's worth clarifying. They said was already underway yeah. in October when they did the same. They said like it was already underway. Um, so maybe they're just going really slow. You know, maybe they're just really taking their time. Um, but it, obviously, you know, she is one of the two people who are must to talk to. At the, and obviously, there should be more than two, but she's one of the minimum two you talk to in this investigation. Um, and so, I don't know what they're doing. I don't have a lot of. I have decreasing faith in the ATP's ability to do what they call an internal investigation. Mm-hmm. I think they should do what the you know Chicago Blackhawks did mm-hmm. and hire an outside firm to do this for them. Uh, I, I I think that's the, the way to go. But mm-hmm. do I trust men's tennis to do the right thing? I do not. Yeah, that's good. The previous 40 minutes. Yeah, exactly. You've made that case already. But no, I appreciate that update. And obviously, if you want to learn more about the Alex Zverev, the allegations he faces, you can go read Ben's pieces in Racket Magazine or part two on Slate.com. Hope all of you enjoyed our conversation with New York Times writer, no challenges remaining, host Ben Rothenberg. A thank you to him, as always, for taking the time to chat. I know he's got some really cool things right now in the works as well. And he joined us not for just one, but for two podcasts today. I mentioned it in the intro. If you want to hear Ben and I make some predictions about the top Americans in 2022, hop on over to our Great Shot podcast feed. That episode gets particularly feisty. I think at one point, Ben and I do start yelling at each other, which is always fun on the podcast feed so be sure to go check out that episode and of course you can find all of our off-season coverage on our various podcasts 
podcast platforms, whether it be our Power 5 coaching interviews we're doing over on the Cracked Interviews podcast, our College Contender series, and our various breakdown of the stats of the seasons on the Great Shot podcast feed. Of course, we're doing similar stuff here on the mini break feed. We're going to try and cover this offseason from every angle. Talk not only about the ATP WTA level, but about, you know, the challengers, the ITFs, the collegians, the juniors playing right now in the Eddie Her Orange Bowl swing. We'll try to cover it all. As again, we try to fulfill our goal to make sure you are the most well-informed, best educated fans in the business. Of course, if you miss any of that content, you can find it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShotPod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out, as well, to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. One last thing, if you'll indulge me, and I try not to do this too frequently on the show, but yeah, I, I think you all know my enthusiasm, my passion for things in life, how I'm able to, I like to think, the glass half full sort of guy, and uh, that's because of the love I receive from my family. I truly say, I say it all the time, I know how fortunate I am to have each and every one of them, whether it be my parents, and I've said this story before when my dad was like, yeah, Alex, I think you probably should do this tennis thing full time. That's when I was like, oh man, if he thinks that I really should be doing it, of course, I never had to ask that of my mom because I know she will support me endlessly no matter what endeavor. I am undertaking. Uh, But of course, I'm very close with my brothers as well. And I think if you are raised with two brothers in an all-boy household, you will. this fact will resonate with you. There's a lot of sports in your life. And for me, some of my most fond memories of my childhood are when I'm 14 years old, my brother's 16, or, you know, I'm 13, I guess he's 16, 14, 17. And the point being, we were two grades apart in school. So when he started driving, you know, I was a freshman in high school. We were on the same high school tennis team together. And a lot of times, we'd be driving back from practice, and it would just be me, him, sitting in the parking lot of a pot belly, eating our sandwiches, listening to sports radio, I can draw a direct line from the fondness I had in those experiences from, you know, the times I'm sitting in the car making my older brother laugh. And for me, it's always if I can make him laugh. All right, that was actually funny. Make a note about that joke, Alex. And uh, today happens to be his 29th birthday. And let me tell you, he's a geezer now. He is every bit of that 29. Although I will say this, his hairline, although juiced, looks better at 29 than it did at 21. But The motivation, the feedback, I will say he is my harshest critic, or at least the critic I take most harshly, but it also keeps me in check. And if you notice any changes, whether it be the variations in my laugh, it's because he says it's annoying. Um, You know, any of the things we attempt, I mean, he has never listened to a show. Let's be clear. There's no way he's going to hear this here, but my mom will hear this, forward it to him, which is really all that matters. Point being, happy birthday to my oldest brother, Eric, whom I love dearly. Westoff, give me that happy birthday sound effect, please. And with all of that said, for our fantastic guests today, Ben Rothenberg, our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, I suppose my older brother, Eric, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>